When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 19. You're about to meet a man that can show you how he took control of his life and financial future and how you can do the same. He's never been on TV. He's not a millionaire. And he does not know Donald Trump. He is a full-time real estate investor, newly discovered author, and family man. And family man. He does not report to a boss. He creates his own schedule and takes his family on a few vacations every year. He got started investing in real estate with almost no money and a really crummy credit score. And he's going to show you exactly how he did it and how he continues to do it. Continues to do it. You will have to work. You will have to be responsible. However, laying by the beach sipping fruity drinks is a reasonable goal. Without further delay, without further delay, your guru, your guru, um, uh, sorry, your guide to a better life through real estate investing, real estate investing. Matt Terrio. Matt Terrio. Hello and greetings from the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast, the podcast that'll show you how to build wealth through creative real estate investing, so you'll have the option to realistically retire in the next 10 years or less and enjoy the good life while you're still young enough to do so. I mean, how does that sound? <laughs> My name is Matt Terrio, author, full-time real estate investor, and family man. Now, if this is your first time listening to this show, you're going to want to do two things. First, go back and listen to episode one for the ground rules of the show. And two, download the free real estate investing course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required. You can get that at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. It's a step-by-step -step course of where I unveil the mystery around doing deals with no money or credit. Okay. I am extremely excited for the next series of episodes as I'll be interviewing some of my closest real estate investing contacts in order to share with you their perspectives, investing strategies, and their secret tips. I mean, perhaps you've heard interviews like this on other shows. In fact, I'm sure that you have. But what you might find different about the next several episodes is that the investors I will be interviewing, they don't have blogs. <laughs> They don't have a podcast. They don't have an ebook to sell. They don't have a course to sell. There's no seminars to sell. There's nothing to promote. There's no alternative motives, nothing. There'll be no cliffhanger answers of which you have to go to their website or buy their book to get the complete answer. You're going to get completely transparent, uncensored, thorough answers to your most burning questions. Now, having said that, mind you, these specific guests, they're not professional speakers. They come from all walks of life. Young, old, black, white, brown, male, female. So you're going to get a ton of information from people on the court from all walks of life. And you're going to get that information from people on the court in today's market playing the game. There's no fans here. There are no sideline sitters. There are no Monday morning quarterbacks. There are no coaches. Just the players. Just true players out there in the real world playing their game and winning. So today, we're kicking that off. On the phone, I have a very good friend of mine. He's probably my youngest friend, young enough to almost be my son, just 26, I believe, but a kid that's got massive wisdom beyond his years. I mean, he's a total inspiration to me, and he's accomplished so much in his first two years of real estate investing. I mean, he could essentially be retired before the age of 30, 
I mean, really, at the rate he's moving, it would be no problem. I doubt that he's going to, just because I know he's he likes what he does, and he's going to continue to do it, I'm sure. You know what I like about him is, is he keeps me on my toes, and he has amazing insights to investing strategy in the overall real estate market. I mean, he's so passionate about what he does. He loves to talk about it. And you know, he's helped me countless times in various situations. But what's so great about him is that he's here today to help you too. So on the phone, Richard Haynes. Richard, thanks for joining us today on the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet, you bet. Glad you're here. So real quick, um, let's just kind of go into uh, how you got started. So kind of share with everybody how you got started investing in real estate and what was the initial attraction? Huh, well, you know, that that's a great question. Um, I initially uh, kind of got my start in, in real estate uh, in college while uh, <clears throat> getting an internship with a loan broker who eventually, right when I graduated, hired me on um, with no base salary, commission only, and I kind of jumped headfirst into the loan business in 2007. And so I learned a lot about real estate during that time, um, much more kind of the, the financing side of residential real estate. And um, as, as most of, of you know, in, in 2007, 2008, we had the bubble burst and then the financial crisis, and it was just so tough to get loans done. Um, and I was getting a little discouraged and I had investors calling me up, you know, telling me what they wanted. And I was going, you know what, I'd rather be that investor calling up a loan broker, you know, saying what I wanted for, for, uh, for my mortgage and, and realizing cash flow through that route. So, um, eventually I, I ended up forming my own company that did a little bit of loans on the side, but my main focus was to actually get into buying and holding real estate. And, and from there, um, I just ended up taking classes, speaking with professionals, going to seminars, every book I could read, I did it. I started uh, driving properties in Inglewood, California, um, looking at deals, and and one thing led to another where, you know, I, I got connected through through uh, searching at deals with, with people who had intimate knowledge of, of certain buy and hold deals throughout Los Angeles, and, and it was kind of... Uh, uh, to keep it short, uh, I went from there and, and just dove in head first and started getting into to buying and holding and flipping real estate from from those drives in, in Inglewood. Nice, nice. So you rep, you you mentioned um, buying and holding is your primary strategy, and just then just right there at the end, you you talked about flipping. Uh, you'd mentioned flipping properties as well. What's your primary acquisition strategy? Where do you find most of your deals? Um, you know, our primary acquisition strategy right now is at the courthouse steps or, or what they call in California the trustee sales. So before a, a property becomes a, an REO or a bank-owned property, it has to go to sale at the steps. And there's obviously investors who bid their all cash. So right now our main form of acquisition is at the courthouse steps as the banks are auctioning them off. And then we'll, we'll also acquire properties through your, your traditional means of, you know, REO uh, properties and, and short sales as well. Got it. So you're primarily dealing with the banks when you find your deals? Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. And how has that been working for you so far? You know what? It, it, it's been working out pretty well. I mean, the, the trustee sales, you know, the banks are involved, but not directly. I mean, they set prices, and if the price is great, it's a bidding war between you and, and a bunch of other investors. And, and the great thing about bidding at the trustee sales is that 
when you buy a property, you buy it that day and you own it. You don't have to go through a long-term negotiation on an REO or deal with a bad agent or the, the, the frustrations and the struggle of a short sale that could drag on for six months. Um, you buy a property at the trustee sales and uh, and it's yours that day. But, you know, it does bring its risks because you do inherit all the, the back taxes any other liens on the property, a, a distraught former homeowner or irate tenant. So there's a lot more risk that comes with it. But uh, but the great thing about it is that you do get your property that day and you can start to start getting to work on whatever your strategy is uh, right when you get it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the steps that you take to mitigate your risk in that type of transaction? You know, the biggest risk mitigator in in uh, in a trustee sale is title in my opinion you got to make sure you have uh, a great title team because uh if you if you buy a property um that you think has clear title and then all of a sudden you find out that you bought the second loan and there's you know a a $200,000 loan that was recorded in front of you you've you know not only you know that got a bad deal, but you're going to lose a lot of money. So um, that to me is the biggest uh, way to manage your risk. You know, I've heard people with bad title agents that have, have missed um, um, recordings and and they get hurt pretty badly. So that you want to first and foremost, make sure that, uh, that you're getting something with clean title or you are prepared and factored into your numbers, things that you're buying that you inherit uh, leans on with it. And then Secondly, uh, kind of, you know, uh, on the backside is, is you really got to know your values. You, you've got to have access to the MLS and you've got to know what the value of the property is because, as you know, you make money on the buy side. And uh, if you buy something for, for more than it's worth, even if you've got a clear title, you're, you're going to be losing money. So um, definitely clear title with trustee sales and, and make sure you know your values when you're purchasing. Got it. And the multiple listing service is your primary source of figuring values? That is, I mean, to be honest with you, Southern California is my market, and I I, I know it pretty well. But obviously, there's micro markets, and and you've got to, you know, I, I may even live in the area, but there's areas between certain streets where you've got to highlight and look at the MLS and figure out what things are selling for, and you've got to use those comps to figure out your values because, you know, that's what the buyers are going to be looking at if they see something that's you know, selling below what you think you can sell it for, they're not going to want to buy it for higher than that. So you gotta you gotta know what the buyers and their agents are looking at, and that is is how your your properties are going to sell. And I found you know the MLS is is the best way to get that type of information. Got it. Are, are there any other online resources that you use to do your due diligence? Uh, a great, great resource that we use, um, and it's expanding rapidly. Um, I believe they're in California, Arizona, Oregon, potentially Washington, um, is a company called uh, Foreclosure Radar, and they're, they're www.foreclosureradar.com, um, and they're just an incredible resource because uh, they allow you to search properties that have gone into notice of default in certain zip codes and areas, um, along with properties that are going to be going to sale at trustee sales. So you can, you know, not only track properties that are in default that you may want to hit up a buy or a, a distressed home seller where you can negotiate a great short sale deal, but you can also track properties to see when they go to sale. So if you want to buy at the courthouse steps, you can see the day they're going to sell the steps. And, uh, and then secondly, you can also see if it's sold or didn't sell at the steps 
notes that day and whether it went back to a bank or a third party investor, because if it then gets, if it goes back to the bank that day, you know, that's a property that you can start uh, watching to try and purchase from the bank as an REO, either get in touch with us directly or wait to have it listed uh, by an REO agent. So it's a really valuable tool. It gives you all sorts of information on the property. Um, and, and it's just, it's something that, that, that I use every day. So it's, it's an awesome tool. I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know you use that. I use that as well. It's where I probably get 90% of my lead lists. It's a, it's an awesome tool. It's unfortunate. It's, it's unfortunate that's only in four states, though. I know. I and to be honest with you, I think they're so good and they're growing so rapidly. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they start expanding to more more states uh, shortly. I hope they do. I mean, it's a really intuitive tool. I mean, you can pretty much just go in there and, and figure it out and get exactly what you're looking for. Awesome. It is. So you're playing this game at the courthouse steps. You need you need deep pockets to play that game. Where do you find the money for your deals? <laughs> uh, that that's another great question too. I think uh, I think a lot of people kind of get stopped in their tracks uh, because of money. Um, and and you know I'm I'm a guy who, who graduated from college about four years ago. I I wouldn't say that uh, you know I'm I'm I have those deep pockets yet by any means to to do what we're doing at the courthouse steps, but that shouldn't stop you. It hasn't stopped me. Uh, what I've gone and done is uh, I've gone out to networking events. Um, I've worked my network from school with professor professors, other uh, people that I've met through um, certain business uh, events, and I'm raising money. So uh, we put together uh, uh, pools of money from different investors. We we tell them what the returns they can expect, what the splits that we take, and what they're going to get, or the fees that we charge. And uh, if it's an investment where someone says, "Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm getting a great return for the risk I'm taking on," uh, they invest with us, and and we've been able to get that cash um, to make it work. And and we've you know we've done millions of dollars worth of property flips based on uh, just raising money from investors and we take parts of the profits and, and they take a part of the profits as well. And, and we've been happy and so have our investors. So we're really, uh, you know, at the moment after we've kind of proved the model, we've made a lot of uh, investors happy. We're, we're looking to start a fund and raise a large, large amount of money so that we can, we can do this on an even bigger scale than we're already doing it. Um, so really it's, you know, it's getting that first investor or two to believe in you deliver for them. And then, you know, it, it just gets easier from there because investors start telling other investors and then all of a sudden you've got, you've got more money than, uh, than you know what to do with. So, uh, it shouldn't be a limiting factor at all. Right. Right. No, it's a very similar experience. I mean, it's once you perform for one investor, then they do start talking. And if you perform correctly and, and per your agreement that you have in place with them, you know, they're sitting there. Once you give them their return, they're looking, okay, what's next? <laughs> you get the same experience? It's exactly that. Once you make one investor happy, they start telling everyone. And, and you know what? As a lot of people are in this business to make money and profits and flips, I found the ones that put their investors first before anyone, that's where you get the referral. So even though I want to make a, you know, a lot of money on a particular flip, you know, we had one circumstance where the deal didn't work out as planned. It took eight months longer than we thought. Uh, the former homeowner sued us and we had frivolous legal fees that we had to deal with that we eventually won, but we had to eat those lawyer costs. And it made the deal where if I had taken my split of the profits, the investor would have made virtually no money on his return. So what I did was I called up the investor and said, hey, 
we got unlucky on this deal. It's your first deal. And I ate those legal fees through my company. I took a loss. And he really appreciated that. And I think when you work on the relationship of keeping your investor happy first, you're eventually going to do enough deals where you're profitable and uh, and you're going to be taking home a lot more money than, than you ever could expect. So yeah, put your investors first, make sure they're getting their money. Uh, and once you make them happy, then then yeah, those those referrals start pouring in. Right. For someone that has never raised private money for, and you know, I've talked about it frequently on this show that you know you just got to get out there and meet people. You got to you know rub bellies and meet people face to face, shake hands. And I talk about networking events and, and seminars and real estate investor clubs all the time. So for someone that's never raised money before, I mean, what is that initial? What did that initial conversation look like for you? How did you ask for the money? How did you present your opportunities? I mean, just what does it start look like in the beginning for someone that's never done it before? What did it look like for you specifically? Uh, you know, it, it's it's funny, like you said, it's really just talking, and and it's hard to put a finger on how uh, on how it happens. But uh, as you asked for for me specifically, you know, I was doing. Uh, I started off my career doing buy and hold, and I got a call from an investor who wanted to do a distressed buy and hold over in Santa Monica, and we ended up meeting. Uh, agreeing on doing some buy and hold, and, and one thing led to another where um, he, he he didn't want to do, you know, it it didn't sit well with him. And I said, well, hey, you know, I've got this plan to do a flip, and uh, and he's like, well, that's what I want more. He he likes the risk a little bit more. He likes the higher returns. And we started doing these flips, and uh, and and it just goes from there. So I mean, it's hard to put a thumb on it and starting the conversation, just say, you know, it's really like, Hey, I'm in the real estate business. I do buy and hold. I do flips. Uh, you tell people what you've been doing, what you've been up to. And, and really people start asking because they're interested in it. They've always, you know, most people want to be a part of, of the real estate business in some way. They just don't want to put their time in and, and, you know, the conversation opens up that way. And, and one thing leads to another where they want to do a buy and hold deal with you, or they want to do a flip and you just have no idea how it's going to happen without, you know, just telling someone what you do. And you say, Hey, we're looking for investors. And they go, man, that, that's something I'd be interested in potentially. And you go, great. You know, let's set up a meeting. I'd love to give you more detail about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question exactly. No, totally. It's, it's very much the, the answer that I typically get. No one has an exact science or an exact approach of how to approach an investor, how to present an opportunity. I mean, I've, on a past few episodes, I've, I've given actual structure, I've given actual scripts, but every time I ask somebody, they, everyone's got a different answer. Um, so, but it really just comes down to being out there, talking to the people and creating that conversation. And when you create enough conversation, then the opportunities come your way. It just kind of, it just does happen. It really does happen that way. And Exactly. Uh, and, and like you said, create, creating that conversation so that people know what you do. I mean, tell people that you're in the real estate business, that you do buy and hold, that you do flips, and and people will talk about you know you to other people because someone else will be looking for that opportunity and they'll be like, oh well, hey, this is what you know, this is what Richard does, this is what Matt does, and and people come in that way. So it's really just letting the world know that this is your business, and and when you treat it that way, you know, people will start coming. Right, right. And Richard, how old are you right now? Uh, I am 26 years old right now. 26 years old. So you being so young and, you know, being so successful already in this business in just a very short period of time, 
when you're when you're talking about your deals, when you're talking about people, do you have do you come up against any challenges or obstacles because of your youth? And if you do, how do you overcome those? Um, I, I did come with some challenge and obstacles, and, and youth is, is always a, a big issue that comes up. Um, I think the hardest part about uh, you know doing this when you're younger uh, is the startup. Uh, I mean, I started my own company and started getting into real estate deals at, at 23. And <clears throat> some of the things just uh, on the outside that helped me kind of get over that hump is I created a company that uh, our logo was kind of based off of the uh, the uh, the Franklin Templeton investments logo where they have that old uh, Benjamin Franklin picture and it looks like it's a company that's been around for a while. I kind of took the same model uh, but I used, you know, my great grandfather's picture, who was who was an inventor that I, uh, you know, looked up to very much, and we kind of formulated a logo to give us kind of a an older look, a sophisticated look. So um, if if you sound professional over the phone, you've got a logo like that. Um, you know, people are going to treat you like an everyday business person, which is your first step of of getting in the door for those meetings. And then they see you, and they go, "Wow, you're younger," and they say, "Wow, I was really surprised you you carry yourself and you run your business." Um, like someone who's been in the industry for a while. So, you know, you want to portray yourself in, in that I've been around the block uh, type issue and, and do things with your company on that sort. Um, secondly, uh, like I said, the biggest thing is you've got to find that first investor who's willing to take a shot at you. Um, and, and at my school, when I, when I took uh, the entrepreneur program, uh, they always said your first investors are going to be friends family and fools. And so you're going to have friends and family that believe in you, know that you're smart and can do it. Uh, and then you're going to have one or two people who you meet who are just so eager to get into it, don't know anyone else. And they're like, well, hey, let's take a shot at this young kid and see how he does. So you really want to work your network of the people close to you. Or, you know, if you don't have that type of friends and family network, you know, there are the quote unquote fools. I don't want to call them fools, but the people are saying, you know what? I really like this young kid. He's got a lot of fire and energy, and he's willing to learn. And and for a lot of investors, that's all they need to know because if they think they've got an A person who is who refuses to fail, they'll invest in you all day. And once you do that first person right, and if they have a reputation, they tell their friends, or you can say, hey, you know, after you've you've, you've done great things for them, say, I've got this investor. He's adding more money. Now all of a sudden, you're doing it. You have a resume. You can show deals that you've done, and at now all of a sudden you, you're 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 just as good as the guys who have been in the, the business for ten years or ten years plus. So that that's the best way to do it if if you're a younger person trying to t- trying to uh, break into business. Right. I mean, that was a, that was exactly how an older person did it. Myself, I'm speaking of. Um, and you know that first investor, they definitely are looking at you more than they're looking at the deal. I mean, they're not buying the deal; they're buying you. So it's very important the way that you had mentioned to, uh, you know, carry yourself appropriately. You know, you're playing a big game. You're talking about a lot of money. For some people, it it could be their entire life savings or a significant portion of it. So definitely. Um, exactly. Yeah, Richard, what does your what does your typical day look like? I mean, this is full time for you. What what when does your day start and what happens in the middle and how does it end? Okay, well, that's a, that's a good question. You know, it can vary depending on what we're doing that day, uh, if we sold a property and, and have money to go back and reinvest. But, but let me give you a, a typical day of where we've got cash to invest uh, and we're going to the courthouse steps. So normally, 
Uh, I am at my desk by about 7 a.m. Uh, I get, you know, uh, all my emails out in about 30 minutes of, of pertinent things that were either sent to me late night or early in the morning that need to be addressed right then and there. And then normally around uh, 7.30 a.m., uh, I start looking for property um, that's going for sale at the courthouse steps. Um, so I start analyzing certain deals that are going to be going. I start finding out the value. And if it's a deal that has enough equity into it, um, I'll start compiling a list of, of properties that I like. And so by about uh, 8, 8.30, you know, I'll have a list of you know, five, six, seven properties. Some days it's 15, some days it's two, depending on the day and how many deals are out there. Sometimes there's zero. And and by 8.30, <clears throat> um, I'll have a list of properties that I like. I've got a whole team set up with my company where I have drivers that go out and then drive the properties in the morning. They get me all the details on the condition of the property, how much fixed up needs to be. Is it vacant? Does it have tenants? Is it a former owner? Um, and they send me back all that information. If that type of stuff comes back where it works with the equity spread, um, you know, then I'll go and I'll be checking title uh, with our title company to make sure title's clear. Uh, and then I'll release the, the properties that get skimmed down that still have a good room for us and the returns that we want. Uh, I'll really skim those down and, and, and really get into detailed comps to make sure I'm getting an exact price that I think I can sell all that with all the costs that I'm going to have. And I've got to, uh, uh, a partner down on the courthouse steps with all of our cash and, and I give him a max bid and he's down there bidding with all the other investors uh, to take down a property. So that normally goes uh, for me from about 7.30 until about 11.30 or at noon. Uh, and then the second half of my day, uh, you know, I eat lunch and while I'm eating lunch, I try and get, you know, done a lot of administrative work. I'm, I'm responding to my accountant and legal team on properties that we have going on. I'm, I'm working the books. We're cutting checks. We're paying our vendors. Uh, and then about, you know, one thirty, two o'clock, I'm looking at REO deals, short seal deals that are sent to me by some of our bird dogs out there that have connections with other agents. Um, I'm looking at those, finding values, we're making offers on those. And then, you know, from about uh, during that time as well, I'm also the properties that we take over when they're vacant or we do a cash for keys. I'm driving those. If one of my team members can't make out, we're taking a look inside in person and getting the exact fix up value. Uh, and then we're setting, you know, times around four or 5 PM. We're reaching out to our contractors to go and take a look at these properties that we're going to be fixing up to flip or hold, um, and then coordinating the fix up of that. And then, you know, in the evening, I, uh, you know, five o'clock on, I speak with my realtors about, um, uh, listings, um, uh, prices, you know, properties that we're about to list, what price we're going to list them at our strategy. And then they bring to me all the offers, um, uh, either that day or throughout the week on a particular property. And we're, you know, signing counter offers and, and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, open enough escrows uh, with them uh, to be opened in the morning. And, you know, basically that's, that's it in a nutshell. And then obviously in between we're managing escrows, uh, uh, you know, on, on certain issues, we're putting out fires when things come up. So that's kind of a general idea of the day. And, and you know, we're, we're pressed for time, but you, but you get it done when you got great deals, uh, you know, you, you want to get it all done and it's fun doing it throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a very full day. 
Um, <laughs> it is most definitely. Yeah, I was, I was like, is he going to end anytime soon? That's a lot that you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to cut me off and say we've had enough, you know. No, it's perfect. It, I mean, I asked that question because I wanted to know the answer. And if there's a lot to know, then there's a lot to know. So thanks for sharing that part of your day. How has your, sure. your approach to investing changed since you got started? Wow, uh, that is a, a great question, and I think people you know, definitely need to listen to, to this um, aspect. Uh, but you know, my approach has, has changed in the fact that I just know what I'm doing, and I get better deals than I, than I did three years ago, four years ago when I started. And uh, it's really experience. I mean, uh, so my approach has been, you know, I went from saying, hey, I want to do buy and holds and become a huge apartment investor owner to going, you know what? There's a ton of deals coming down the pipeline uh, for me to flip and make quick money. And we're not going to bottom anytime soon, at least here in my Southern California market. I feel like, you know, we're going to bounce along the bottom and keep going down for the next two, three, four years as we clear out this foreclosure inventory. Um, so, so my strategy has changed to being like, hey, I want to be a flipper. And then when I start seeing the inventory dry up, then I'm going to buy and hold. So really, my, my strategy has changed as I've gotten more and more knowledge. Now, granted, I bought property to hold in 2008 and 2009, just as it was starting to go down. And there's still great deals that cash flow us great returns on our money that we're extremely happy with. And you can get better in the stock market, but those properties right now, if we tried to sell them, they'd, they'd be underwater. But the, the fact of the matter is, is we bought them on cash flow on a long-term basis. Now with my experience, I know when to buy a deal where I'm going to have equity in it. And if it's slow enough, I'm like, you know what? If the market goes down another 15, 20%, this property's still, still in the black. So my strategy's changing that I just know a lot. But here's the thing is that even though I've got a property too that cash flow is fantastic, but it's, you know, it's slightly underwater, I would have never gotten into the industry if I hadn't done those deals and I wouldn't be where I'm at if I hadn't done those. So those deals were kind of like, all right, this is my first deal. It's your starting point. And everything now from there on basically compares to your first deal and you try and get better and better and you will. So even though my strategy's changed, I wouldn't change it for one second saying, man, I wish I'd, I'd use this money to do flips or, or bought a certain different asset classes as opposed to what I bought because you got to get started somewhere. And, and yes, my strategy's changed, but, uh, but if you don't start, you're never going to have an idea of how to change your strategy without employing a strategy first and actually acting on it. So I hope that answers your question a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you and I were discussing this almost very thing last night at the, the, uh, the USC networking event that, you know, personally, I mean, we both got started about the same time. We've moved along and grown at, at different rates and at different speeds, and we both had very unique experiences. And we were discussing how, you know, the, you, you're chugging along, chugging along, and you're getting all this experience under your belt, and you might not think you're making any progress, or at least not the progress that you intended to make. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we were discussing just how the last six months for myself, and you know, you kind of confirm this and, and put it in a way that I had never thought of it before. But just in the last six months, my my cash flow has jumped considerably, and I was like, it was so easy in this last six months. 
like where was that in the beginning? Why wasn't that happening right when I got started when I thought I would, that's exactly what I was pursuing? And, and it sounds like, you know, it, it, what you're saying is just, and I agree 100%, by the way, you just got to get started. You know, with you're never going to yeah. know it all. You don't need to know it all to get started. And there's a lesson within each transaction that you do that you'll probably never, ever read in a book. You'll never hear it at a seminar. It's experience that you just don't get unless you're actually out on the court playing the game like you are. A hundred percent. And, you know, you, you hit it right on the head because, you know, you've got to develop contacts to find good deals. You've got to have the right contractors. You've got to develop a, an investor network. And when you first start, you know, things are going to be choppy. But like you said, until you get on the court and 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 do it and learn it and put your heart and soul into it all of a sudden one day you know you've been doing it for three four years and and all of a sudden everything clicks and you're like wow someone sends me a deal i know exactly what the value is i've got an investor who wants it i have the tools to close it and and we we take it down and it's a great deal and everyone's happy and you're like oh my gosh i can do this over and over and over again and uh and i can do this for the rest of my life so you're 100 percent on it's really just getting on the court doing your first deal and then you have you have a place to, to start from and, and just go for it right you know when you were describing that uh how your strategy has changed or your approach to investing has changed you'd mentioned something about the uh, the california market and how you see it you know bouncing along the bottom for the next two three maybe four or five years and what are some of the ways that you stay up to date with the market and you know how do you make your predictions how do you um how do you come to your conclusions how do you stay up to date with the market uh, you know what? A, a, a big tool that we use um, are are the trustees' websites, uh, and and what they do are is is, the, is there's actually a large uh, uh, trustees' website that uh, they do a lot of the courthouse step sales for the banks across the country, and they measure the properties that have been given notice of defaults, notice of trustee sales, and those are the types of properties that I follow. Or those are the statistics, and I think the biggest one tried to compile theirs and everything else. And I think they they said, and this was a few months ago, so it couldn't have changed. But there were either in notice of default or notice of trustees sale um, properties. Uh, I think four million across the country. And if you read reports, you know, a year and a half ago they sold a million foreclosures uh, uh, from the banks. And this year, I think they're on pace to sell 800,000 and you're going, there's 4 million in the pipeline. Uh, and they're only getting rid of 800 grand to a million properties a year. We've got a long time to get through this stuff. And then what I also use is, is I use foreclosure radar. You can look and see what properties are supposed to go to sale that day. And you see how many properties postponed by a month because someone filed for bankruptcy or because they're negotiating a short sale or a loan modification. And so if you just look at your target area, and let's say it's mine where it's Southern California, you'll see, you know, 400 properties in your target area that are supposed to go to sale that day um, or, or that month, and maybe only 30 or 40 of them will actually sell that month. And you go, man, there's really an extend and pretend being put on by the banks because if they were to release all that inventory now, real estate would just crash. They'd lose more money. The United States would be hampered. So they're really controlling the inventory that comes out. And when you see those numbers of how many people are in default uh, based on how many we're actually clearing 
through the inventory, it's going to be a slow and painful process, and it's not going away anytime soon. So you really got to look at the supply and demand to see where real estate's going here. <laughs> you know, this is, this is one of the reasons I, I love talking to you, and, and I love talking to actual real estate investors. I mean, you can tell right away inside of a conversation who's doing it and, and who's pretending. Um, what... What are some of the? How much have you invested in your real estate investing education? First, do you continue to invest in your education, and in what ways? Um, so I actually ended up joining on to uh, a real estate investing course uh, back in two thousand two thousand eight, um, and it was it was basically a, a real estate school out in Arizona that uh, hired actual real estate investors like myself, and they've taught different courses, wholesaling, fix and flipping, buy and hold, multifamily units, uh, seller finance notes. Uh, and, and I actually spent, I went, hey, I went to, I went to college and got a business degree and, and focused on entrepreneurship, but I want real estate. I need a crash course. I need intimate knowledge on how to do this stuff and what better than to go to actual investors who are teaching it. So I ended up uh, spending $20,000 uh, and it was actually an incentive where you could split it with a partner and do 10000 and 10000 between the two of you. And I went out to Arizona, you know, once every two months and took a week. I would just leave work um, and, and, and took a week long, would spend a week out there and learning as much as I could from, from, from these courses. So that gave me a great base and it was probably one of the best best investments I could have made for myself because, uh, you know, even though I went to business school, it doesn't teach you the details of the real estate market, you know, when you get these these experts doing it, telling you the exact details of how to do things. So that was step one. And then once you get the confidence through through those type of courses, I then started, you know, finding a great accountant, finding a great lawyer. And great accountants are going to teach you how to structure your business and do the taxes. And my lawyer has just been fabulous in terms of teaching me how to protect myself. You know, we can get an eviction done now in, in two months, which in, in California is really tough to do, but we're so on point. Uh, and then, you know, I, I acquire, you know, I, I subscribe to, to periodicals that are real estate based. I, uh, you know, I'm a part of the apartment owners association in Southern California. Uh, I, I listen to, to Bruce Norris, who is an incredible resource uh, at the Norris Group, who does all sorts of fix and flips um, in the Valley, and he goes and, and lobbies to Washington, D.C. on how they should uh, help investors. Uh, I subscribe to Forecaster newsletters. Um, so those always keep me up to date. I'm constantly getting emails from the Association of Realtors to give me updates on what's going on in my market nationally. Um, and then lastly, you know, I went out and found mentors. You know, I, I found a mentor at a, at a USC football game. We were watching the game and he was sitting next to me in the seats and he happened to be a trustee on the board of USC and he was in commercial real estate. And I said, you know, I'd love to follow up with you. And, and he gave me his card and, and I called him and he helped me with my business plans. He goes, here's what investors want to see. Here's how I do it when I'm raising my money for my big commercial deals. And, you know, those people, you know, they're not big and scary because people want to talk to them all the time and they give out their business cards and maybe one in 10 people will call them and one will actually follow up and write the business plan. And then, you know, one out of 10 from there will actually take what he uses, fixes it, and then send it back to him for comments. I mean, there's not a lot of people who uh, say what they're going to do and then actually, you know, do it. Um, and that impressed him. And he's been a mentor that's helped me a bunch. And, you know, 
uh, and helped educate me as well. So, I mean, you got to spend money in periodicals in, in, in real estate education. You got to spend money on the right people to do your accounting and legal and you got to find mentors and, and then just stay up with the market and, and you actually stay educated by constantly doing deals because you're actually knowing what the market's doing as well. So that's the best advice I can give in terms of, of education and how I kind of went about doing it. And, you know, with regard to a, a mentor, because that's a question that I get frequently, it's actually a question I have a little bit later for you, but um, let's talk about it now since you just brought it up. I mean, that's exactly how it happens, isn't it? I mean, you just, you just, by being out there in the conversation, being out there in a community, I mean, you were at a USC football game and, and happened to sit next to a guy, and because you raised that, raised the conversation, he gave you his contact information, and you actually used his contact information, I mean, it's been an invaluable resource for you. Yeah, that's 100% true. It's, it's really following up. You'll be surprised. There are not a lot of people in this world who follow up and uh, and say what they're going to do and then actually do it. And, and you'll be surprised if, if you do that and do it to someone who's been successful. There's someone who's kept their word. There's someone who follows up and does things when you do that and they find a like-minded person like uh, like themselves. They'll, they'll be happy to help you, and I'm sure, you you know, for most of them, you're going to get a lot out in terms of information and, and pushing your business forward. Right, right. So, Richard, what is something you now know that you wish you would have known when you first got started that you wish someone would have told you? Something that, man, you know what? I, I wish I had just started earlier. And, 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 and let me, you know, kind of circle around on how it's, I wish I would have, would have, uh, how I wish I would have known what I, you know, what I could have known earlier. And basically when I bought our, our first buy and hold property in 2008, um, it was, it was a triplex. And at the time, you know, I wanted more units, but it was such a distressed, uh, time in real estate and there were no loans you could actually buy single family residences for, you know, 80% of the cost of what we bought this triplex. Now, even though we got better cash flow, these single families were selling at a fire sale and I could have used money and taken down three or four single families where they would have cash flowed me a little bit less, but the market bounced back up because it was an overcorrection and uh, and I could have sold each of the properties for like a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollar profit. And so, really, to circle around is going. I wish I had started early. I wish I had been in the business for three or four years prior to that because I would have known to know what. Let's not buy this triplex. Let's buy these four single family homes because I've never seen prices this low. We're not going to get as good a cash flow, but there's no way single family homes in this area are going to stay that low. It's an overcorrection. And so. Basically, to, to, to circle around, as I keep saying, is I wish I just had known the market better earlier and I would have made the right move and, and made a little bit more profits uh, than what we did now. But, but then it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. I hadn't had a starting point. Uh, I didn't know the market. And, and really, it's the experience of getting started doing a deal. And, and you know, like I said, so, so really what it is, what I didn't know, I wish I just had more and more experience uh, to, so that I knew what were the great deals earlier so it's, it's really market experience right yeah it's, you know the same thing I wish I wouldn't have tiptoed around it for so long I wish I would have just taken bolder action right in the beginning I mean if you come to, to recognize that 
whatever was stopping you before, like, wasn't really there. Like, it didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it, yeah it, it didn't exist. And then when you get that experience, you're like, wow, now I know what I didn't know. And, and it opens up a whole new area of your business that, that you didn't know you could, you could actually do. And it, 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 really, it really helps out. Right. Okay, cool. Richard, this has been an awesome interview. And you know what? I sent out a, uh, a survey to all of the listeners. And I know they're getting a ton from this from this conversation, but they they'd sent me in some of their most burning real estate investing questions, and I pulled out some of these, and I wanted to know if you could help me answer them. Would that be okay? You got enough time? That yeah, that's great for sure. I'm sorry, I've got to interrupt this interview as it goes on and on, and you know Richard just shares so much invaluable insight that I don't want you to miss any of it. So I'm breaking this interview up into two episodes to give you a chance to digest all of the great nuggets Richard shared with you today. No worries, though. I'll post the second half of the interview in the next few days where Richard answers your most burning questions. And I think you'll be shocked by what he has to say. That's it for today. And until next time, as a very wise person once said, good habits formed at youth make all the difference. But it's never too late to be who you might have been. To your success, I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Thank you for spending this time with Matt Terrio and the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. When you have a moment, stop by iTunes to leave your comments and let us know what you think of the show. And if you haven't done so already, get started investing today by visiting freerealestateinvestingcourse.com to access Matt's free course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required. Until next time. To your success. To your success. To your success. To your success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.